0: A couple more messages on Revelation. I hope it's been a real blessing to you. We've been several months into the book. But uh, last week we looked at the Tree of Life, and now in verse 8 we see that uh, John is wrapping up the message of the book of Revelation. And so now we're coming to the concluding thoughts, and we'll see God's final call this. Uh, Week, and next week we'll see the the final invitation the Bible gives. Uh, to, to the Spirit and the Bride say, "Come!" In fact, let's just look over that. He says, um, uh, "Notice," he says, um, in verse eighteen, "This is what we are to do today." He says, "For I testify to everyone who hears these words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to these, uh, or uh, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book, and if anyone takes away." Uh, we see that he says he will also pronounce a curse upon them. But verse 20, he who testifies these things, surely I'm coming quickly. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Um, and so we see, oh, excuse me, let's go back to verse 17. That's what I'm looking for. The spirit and the bride say, come. Even so, come Lord Jesus. We're looking for him coming again. But the spirit, that is uh, whom? The Holy Spirit. And what is, who is the bride? Church. The church. So what is our message? Come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Come unto me. Come unto the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's chapter this chapter 22. Chapter 22, verse, and I'll back to the verse seven. So. As well, no, 17, verse 17. The spirit and the bride say, Come. Okay, so we see that we have the final call, and that'll be get, or the final, uh, you know, God's final call to the unsaved in verse 8. And then with the final challenge and the invitation, we see in uh, verse 17. But uh, notice this, and now I, John, in verse 8, saw and heard these things. And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. Then he said to me, See, that you do not do that. For I am your fellow servant and of your brethren, the prophets, and of those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, do not seal the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He is holy, let him be holy still. And behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Where did we see that? That whole statement. Back in chapter 1. So he begins with the, the prophecy of this book and ends it with the great statement, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Verse 16. Blessed are those who do these commandments that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter into the gates of the city, but outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and whosoever loves and practices a lie. Now, that's a mouthful. So we see that uh, God's giving a call, and he tells us. Now, first of all, we see the revelation of Jesus Christ uh, is is now complete uh, to the Apostle John. The prophecies uh, prophecies have been affirmed to be genuine and true, and he says this several times. The book uh, closes with an epilogue. It consists of words of comfort and caution and exhortation. Now, in verses 8 and 9, we see a correction. Paul, oh, notice that John, sorry, John tests that these things are true, but now notice that uh, John, when he saw and heard these things, and when I heard, I, I fell to worship before the feet of the angel. Now, this is a crucial doctrine that uh, some of our people have come from, Catholic background or whatever else. You do not worship or pray to angels. Now, John talked to one. Here, but he wasn't praying to it because the angel came to him. He didn't go to the angel. Big difference. Notice the angel says, "I'm I'm just a fellow servant." And so, this idea of saint, whoever it is, or whatever guardian angel you have, that's unscriptural. So, if you have an angel up on your dashboard or whatever that's protecting you, uh, be careful with that. God doesn't let anything get it between you and him when it comes to salvation and grace. Now, the only thing between you and me is that I hope that I am God's oracle. But I am only God's oracle as long as I speak the truth. And so, but at the same time, do not worship me. (laughs) And do not even, you you know, I've told you many times about, even if you compliment me, I'm, I... I want to make sure, well, praise the Lord, God opened your eyes or either, you know, God uh, that I was a blessing. You know, that God made me a blessing. But I don't want to take I don't want to take anything from God because I've learned by personal experience. When I start thinking of myself pretty good, the Lord has a way of slapping me down so so badly that I, I don't let go of those experiences. Let's put, it's humiliating, let's put it that way. But we see now that I, John, he attests of these things of all that he had heard. And we go back to chapter 1, uh, in verse 1, the very beginning. He says this again. He says, I fell down to worship, and John was so overwhelmed by the visions that he fell down at, at the angels' feet. But notice, see that you, do, that you don't do do that. For notice, I am your fellow servant. Now, we know that uh, the Lord was made a little lower than the angels, and so us in, in human form on earth... Or a little lower, we don't have the power of angels, that's what it means. But one day we'll be equal with them, and we'll rule and reign with the Lord. But right now, uh, the Lord came as a form of a servant. And so we don't have the power or the scope of an angel, uh, but one day we'll be up there with them. But he says, uh, I am your fellow servant, and of your brethren, the prophets. Notice how that he brings them down to human level. And of those who keep the words of this book. So again, I'm only as good as I present the words of this book. And folks, that's all all good as you and I are, is how that we present the words of this book, either in action or deeds. Is that true? I mean, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And so it's the truth of the word of God. And that's the only reason we're good is because God makes us good through his word. He purifies, he sanctifies us, he cleanses through the word of God. He says, worship God. Notice how he says that. Don't worship me, worship God. And he said, do not seal the words of this book. Here's the second thing. Do not seal the words of this um, prophecy of the book, for the time is at hand. Now, that's interesting because if you go back to... um, uh, excuse me. Um, so, if you go back to the uh, to Daniel, chapter twelve, verse four, after the Lord wraps up His uh, prophecy to Daniel about the scope of history and the four uh, basic uh, uh, four point outline of, uh, of prophecy of, of human history, which came to be true, the Babylonian Empire, the Persian Empire, the Greek Empire, the Roman Empire, and then they all break up, and now we're seeing it. As coming back together and all that, the ten toes and so forth. Um, that was the outline of history that we're coming to. A, that's coming to an end today. But he said, "Seal it up." In the fact, in other words, you can't explain it any more than what I've written. And so, even up until 1948, the book of Daniel was pretty well closed. But at the same time, we see that the book of Revelation says, "Don't seal up the book here." So seal it up. In other words, you're not going to understand it now. John is to proclaim it as much as he understood. And it's interesting. I, I listened to a message. A guy whose a name was Vernon Nams, back when I was in the service. But he was now he was an older man at the time, and this was in the '70s. So he was a you know a young man in the, 20, in the, teens and twenties a you know, hundred years ago. Anyway. And he said he remembered listening to people like, you know, uh, Billy Sunday and other of the great preachers back in that day. And he said that uh, he heard them say stuff like, uh, "If you if, uh, questions like, if you had a chance, what would you preach on more than you have in your lifetime? And they would say, the second coming. Well, I would preach more on prophecy than I ever did. But I remember he kept saying, you know why they didn't? He didn't, or they didn't? And he said, because it wasn't time. It wasn't time. But, you know, 1948 changed things around quite a bit. Now, I've gone through the history of eschatology and how that it started really uh, formulating as far as getting more concrete in the 1800s. And we've gone through that before. But, um, you know, I started noticing because, You know, every place I went after that, that was in 1970 when I was in the service. But every place I went and we had Bible studies or whatever, whether it was Puerto Rico or whether it was my own church or Bainbridge, Maryland, or let's see, Jacksonville, Florida. Some of the places where I'd go and get with Christians. You know, everybody, every place they wanted to go, you know why they wanted to study? The Book of Revelation. I'm going, yeah, I just kept, you know, people are interested in this today. And that's why I tell people, though, that love revelation and love prophecy. And they're, you know, we have people that come, and all through my ministry, they got all kinds of books and they love it. But I tell them, you know, if you really look into the Bible, you will see revelation throughout it. We're to preach the whole counsel of God in the light of His coming. And so, and how many times, even in the book of Psalms, how many times have we looked at revelation, the things, you know, that are coming? And so here we see that uh, the closer we get to the time of the Lord's coming, the more that people are going, in fact, Daniel says that they're going to ever learn, you know, but they're going to have an increase in knowledge. And he's tells, if you go back and study that, we're at, uh, we only got 20 minutes, so we won't take, go back to Daniel chapter 12 right now. But uh, read that last passage there. Uh, and it's just amazing what he says there about, uh, you know, there's going to be a, a great increase in learning, and yet they're going to be blind to the things of God. So it's interesting that even he, he said that. And so we see that uh, that the command, don't seal these things up, but now preach them. So we preach, and I hope that you see that I preach, and I'll be talking about the second coming during the message this morning when we're talking about Paul and Acts. Now, when I say that, I... I won't be bringing out the rapture, but we're always looking forward to the coming of the Lord, are we not? Ready to live it? Oh, oh, yeah, I mean, well, every, well uh, Job. Job was the first book of the Bible written. He says, I know my Redeemer lives, and one day I'm going to be with him. So there's always been that. And there again, the one thing you want to remember that Revelation in the Bible is progressive. What we mean by that, we should know more by the end of Revelation than we know by the end of the book of Daniel. We should know more about salvation in the book of John than we do in Genesis. And yet, Abraham was, you know, Abraham believed God and it was kind of done for righteousness. Genesis says that. And so we could preach preach salvation in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. We do it in, in Deuteronomy. We're doing it, you know, we're talking about salvation of God even there. Uh, all the way through the Bible, we see that uh, there's one main character, and that's Jesus Christ, and there's one main subject, and that's the grace of God. Day, well, there, well, there again, we got to leave that up to the Lord. No man knows the time and season, so we'll let him do it. Uh, but I'm just praying he'll do it. Uh, and he wants to wait one more day, and what that is, it could be a thousand years. It could be a thousand years, you're right. And so we see that... Uh, So we see then that, so by the end of the book of Revelation, it's complete. The Bible is now complete. That's where Paul tells us that, uh, you know, when that which is perfect is done, that which is, in part, shall be done away. That means there's no more tongues and no more prophecy. So be careful with people who say, well, I got a word from the Lord and Israel, or there's going to be a tornado that's going to hit whatever. Whatever. You know, Pat Robertson came up with that a few years ago. He just passed away. I think the Lord, I, I hope he's saved. I think he was. But I think the Lord pretty well straightened him out with that by now. But, you know, all that kind of stuff, you know, the, the, uh, and all the, uh, I think, uh, one of our men, uh, the guy, uh, Dave was telling me about it Wednesday night, how that he has a brother. And he got off into this prophecy, and uh, he imitated a guy on uh, on television and he hit him in the head and nearly knocked him over, you know. And he said, if you do that again, I'm going, you know. <laughs> and so, you know, you have all this stuff going on. I'm not a faith healer. But I, I, but in faith, I believe that God can heal. Uh, I, if I didn't, then I'm not going to go see you in the hospital. I'll just say, you know, you know hope you come back. And I'm not going to pray, Lord, you know, you can heal this person. But, Lord, whatever you do, receive the glory. You know, and I've seen God miraculously heal people, but I'm not a faith healer. I wish, no, I don't want to be because if I did, it would take away from the grace of God. And so we see that that he commands. He says, now, uh, uh, he says, the time is at hand. And so now is the time to preach this gospel and this uh, answer. But uh, notice, let him that is unjust be unjust still. That has been a, a very misunderstood verse. And he that is, um, you know, the rest of it as far as, uh, and he that is filthy, let him be filthy still. And unlike what John Walward, who was a uh, theologian at Dallas Theological Seminary, but he said, let him who is unjust, let him be unjust still. The choices we make on earth are permanent. These, those who reject our Lord uh, and those who accept him have entirely different fates. Though there is a sense in which present choices fix character, a time is coming when change will be impossible. What does that mean? That means by God's grace, I have been saved and I have been declared righteous. That will never change. Now, of course, there will be some judgment about my works, but that will never change. But if I am unsaved and unforgiven, that will never change. And I will be judged according to the choices that I had to have it changed here on earth. Your choice on earth and whether to accept the Lord or to reject him is going to matter for eternity. Either you're, going to, you know, either you're going to be in heaven with the Lord and declared righteous before him, or you're going to be condemned to an eternal fi- lake of fire where your sins will not be forgiven. And the only way that you can pay for those sins is through infinite time. You have an infinite, infinite gift right now. The Lord Jesus meant more to God the Father than all of us put together. And he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But if you reject that infinite gift... Then the only way that you could pay for your sins is from that time. Think about it. Now, I like you people, love you people, but uh, there are certain people in my family that, if I had to make a choice between them and you, I hope I never had to make that choice. You understand what I'm saying? I know that. Okay, let's pick Anna. I know she loves us, and she'll do anything for us, and she's one of the sweetest ladies I've ever had in my ministry. But if it came to a choice between us and Evelyn, she better make the right choice and it better not be us. Does that make sense? Well, here we have the Lord Jesus. He meant more to God the Father than all of creation. He was a sacrifice of infinite, infinite value. And he gave him for us. So if you reject him, that's the worst crime. I mean, I mean, that's spitting in his face. And so you can see the gravity of your decision as to whether to accept the Lord Jesus as Savior or to reject him. And so notice how this, let him be, if you're unjust, you'll be unjust for eternity. If you're a liar, you'll be a liar for eternity. Remember what he said, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brown stones, which is the second death. Well, we were born liars. Anybody, any any of you have did any of your parents had to teach you how to lie? They to teach you how not to lie, right? <laughs> so you know that's just our lives. Isn't it interesting when people turn away from God, uh, and a government turns away from God, then it's just an education system, system turns away from God or whatever else, then the whole uh, their whole culture is built on lies. Look at our government today. We can't trust them. We can't trust the institutions. We can't trust the FBI. We can't trust the judges. Because we, you know, man by nature is a liar. And the only reason that God has blessed this country is because there was a consciousness that uh, integrity mattered. And that lying was a sin until recently. Isn't it interesting how that is? And so, if you're going to be a liar, you'll be a liar for eternity. Now, it's going to be pretty bad to be in hell being a liar. I mean, you're just going to take your sins with you. And so, you know, that's the gravity of this situation. And so, notice uh, that's the idea here. And so, you know, don't let anybody say, well, that's talking about if you're unjust, that's just case ra That means that whatever happens now, you, man is man, and you're just always going to. No, no, that's not what it's saying here. It's saying if you have accepted the Lord Jesus, you'll spend eternity in your sin in hell, unforgiven. Now, if you accept the Lord, you're forgiven, but he'll have to clean you up a little bit because you know, he has to declare us righteous, and that's justification. So let him that is unjust. So we see um, that uh, that's the command as well as the, um, the effect of, uh, our, of our decisions. And then we see in verses 12 through 15, we see the Lord speaking. He says, "Behold, I'm coming quickly." Now, the word "quickly" there is not meaning, as you've said, you know, does that mean today or a thousand years? But it means when He comes, how uh, how quick will it be? Very quickly, in a in a twinkling of an eye. That's one sixty-four hundredths of a second or something, whatever uh, they say about that. Anyway, it's gonna be it's gonna be uh, quick. And He says, uh, "Behold, I come quickly." And notice. My reward is with me. So what does he tell us about saints who, when he comes? We will be taken to heaven, and we will, be give, we will give an account for what we have done in the flesh. And, of course, uh, he's going to judge every word, and he's going to judge in every thought by fire. And all the things, the wood, hay, and stubble, the stuff that doesn't matter in life or the things we've wasted our, our times on. What's going to happen to that? It's going to burn away. But what we have done for the Lord Jesus Christ, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth does not corrupt, nor thieves break through and steal. But the things we've done for the Lord Jesus Christ are going to be the criteria for the, for the, um, for the scope of our eternity. In other words, there will be degrees of heaven. There will be those, you know, uh, much closer to the throne of grace than I am. I like what, uh, you know, there was a big controversy uh, between John Wesley and uh, uh, <laughs> George Whitfield. George Whitfield was a Calvinist. John Wesley was what we now call a Wesleyan or a uh, uh, <laughs> um, anyway, you believe you lose your salvation and all that, um, and so um, when, so they, they had a, and they split later on. And so uh, someone asked uh, John, uh, John Wesley said, "Do you think you'll see George Whitfield, Arminian?" While well, I'm trying to come up with it. Uh, Arminians was a fellow who believed that you know you lose your salvation and all that, and he came up with five points of the reasons why. And then the Calvinists came along with five points, the reason you can't, you know, of Calvinism. And so uh, uh, five-point Calvinism is just a, a refutation of five-point Arminianism. And all, you get into all that stuff. But uh, so they went two different routes on that. But uh, I believe, uh, you know, people that leave, can lose their salvation, I just say, please, uh, you act like you got it. You have the confidence that you have it. And the people who are really smug in their salvation... Uh, have the confidence that maybe you don't have it all. You know, I mean, the idea of uh, let's make sure that we keep ourselves challenged about the word of God. Right. Right. And so, what he was saying was that they, John Wesley, he, he said, "No, I don't think I'll see George Whitfield in heaven." And uh, you know, the old his followers said. He said, No, he'll be so much closer to the throne, I won't even see the sole of his feet. You know? So there will be a lot of people closer to the Lord than I am. I just hope, I'm hoping I'm at some no, somewhere in the middle. I don't know. I just won't, I won't want God to ask for me. And so we see that there will be rewards in heaven. But also, there's also degrees in hell. Hell's going to be a lot hotter and rougher for some people than others. He says, my reward is with me to give everyone according to his work. And then he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. Uh, And of course, we know in him all things consist. He's, He's the A to Z of our existence. Everything, every molecule of your body, one little thing in your body can go wrong. One little cell, and you've got trillions of cells in your body. But one little cell can kill you. Who is the one who's keeping you together? The Lord Jesus. In him all things consist. So he's got got the whole world in your hand. He's got every cell in your body in his hand. And so we see that uh, when you really think about the scope of who God is and what we aren't, who are we to even question our God about what he's doing? It should humble us and cause us great fear as well as a great appreciation that Lord, not only did You create me, and You've given me the comforts of this life, but You've saved me for eternity. I mean, that is, and of course, how much we have looked at heaven and the things that are going to get better. You know, that's the one thing about a Christian. It doesn't matter how bad things get here on earth. I was talking to uh, earlier this morning, and uh, I it's one of those things where you were telling me about some things and some of the pressure she was under and so forth um and um uh, i uh over on the internet so i'm not mentioning names right now but uh uh and so you yeah, know and i was and i was thinking friday i was just fit to be tied no thursday night and friday i was fit to be tied i was working on this you know with the library about our very existence here in the building and I was already looking around for other buildings and all this and the Lord worked all that out I'll tell about that again but uh, um, and then air conditioner went out turn on the radio and Trump gets indicted you know and you know and not that I you know there again the, the thing that scares me is the attack on our democracy overall you know and then you look at the news and kids are getting mutilated with this transgender surgery then you have a call, a call from your uh, son, and he's telling you about what's going on in the school system where he is. And you're going, and all of a sudden I realized, Lord, I'm stressed out. I've just had it. And I'm fearing, Lord, I'm fearing a lot of things right now. I'm fearing the future. And you tell me to be anxious for nothing, but I'm scared to death. I just feel overwhelmed about all the things that were piling on top of me, and plus I was sweating. I didn't have you know, so, and so all that kind of stuff. And then, lo and behold, and I've always noticed this, when I have that kind of problem, someone else in my church, uh, someone else in the congregation is too. And invariably, they'll come to me and tell me about the very same type of stresses that I'm having. So what does that tell us? That's the reason you have a church. Because we all go through these things together. Maybe a little, little, little different scope, but we all, there's nothing take, uh, uh, taking you but such as common to man. We're all common. Worry, how much cubits does it add to your life, worry? Well, there again, worry is nothing more than meditation in and re- and reverse. Instead of thinking of all the things that God can do, you're thinking of all the things he can't do. And so, really, I had to check myself and I said, okay, am I willing to pray to the Lord? Am I willing to say, even so, come Lord Jesus. One day I'm going to be with you. It's going to take care of it. The things of this life are going to go strangely dim in the light of your glory and grace and casting my cares upon him. Isn't that what it's all about? And do we not all have stresses? Anybody have any stress this past week? Maybe I haven't talked to everybody, so (laughs) there again. But, uh, But we do have that hope. We have the hope of salvation and the great thing about it if I'm a liar I don't have to be a liar still if I'm a worrier I don't have to be a worrier still if I'm a sinner I don't have to be you know I don't want to be a liar but you know what I'm saying whatever sin it is there's always hope of redemption and deliverance we don't have to be there but those who aren't there will never get there outside of the Lord Jesus Christ so, what a blessing it is. And so, blessed is he, the last beatitude. There, of course, that's uh, the flip side of your notes there, very quickly. Seven Beatitudes, verse one, chapter 1, verse 3, 14, 13, 16, 15, 19, 9, 26. These are, those are the blessings, the Beatitudes uh, that we see uh, that Jesus gave in the Sermon on the Mount. Now, there's, Jesus gives seven of them in the Sermon of the Revelation. It's kind of interesting. Um, And those, he says, that um, that, uh, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, uh, the reward is with me to everyone. Uh, According to his work, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life. Talk about the rights. Boy, everybody's uh, demanding their rights. We have no rights except what God gives us. God-given rights. And the great God-given right that I have is one day I'll be able to eat of that tree of life that we've talked about. Not because of anything I've done, what he's done, that we may enter into the gates. Now, I have to be careful because we got dog lovers here. He says, but outside are dogs and sorcerers. So in heaven are there dogs? We know there's horses, white horses, but what about dogs? He's not talking about the four-legged kind here. In fact, the Lord uses it back in the Sermon on the Mount again, in chapter 7, where he says, you know, judge not lest ye be judged. And then a couple of verses later he says, but beware of dogs. Now, was he talking about, you know, the four-legged kind? No. He was talking about those who will abuse the gospel and preach untruth. So beware, you know, so outside are the dogs, outside are the the... I need. To, there's a couple of clips that I'm picking up on, tel, on, uh, right, on uh, internet now. But I was watching John MacArthur uh, yesterday, and the guy is very good. Now you might differ with a, a lot, some of the things, especially in the doctrine of uh, Calvinism. I think he goes a little too far. But overall, he's a very good pastor and, and preacher. But he got off and he started naming names and showing their doctrinal error. Anybody from Beth Moore to, uh, uh, to Benny Hinn. And he just went and he showed their doctrinal and the guy down in Houston. Uh, what's his name? Oh, he's forgetting. He's got that. He talks like, oh boy, I better be careful. What's his name? Joel Osteen. And boy, does he get on Joel Osteen and because the guy is a false prophet. And so... Uh, There again, but he goes through that, and maybe I need to uh, get permission from him to run it on our Jumbotron up here. But uh, he really explains a lot of the things. So, outsider dogs, outsider people that are preaching false doctrine. And so he says uh, they're outside, and they're sorcerers that's the drug dealers, as well as the people that uh, get off into the occult and the sexually immoral. And whosoever loves, now there's the, there's, the, uh, there's the definition of the lie. Are we all liars? Uh, Pastor, how are you doing today? I feel, well, just fantastic. And you feel horrible. I just lied. Now, will that send me to hell? No. But if I, now notice what he says, he that loves and practices a lie. So my whole life is built on lies. That's the person that we talk about in all liars So we have their part in the lake, which burneth the fire and brimstone. If your whole life is made up of lies and you are just a caricature of yourself. Now, we all, of course, have two different. There are certain things I don't want you to know about me and vice versa. I don't even want to know about you or whatever. So we all have those things. But if my life is built on a lie, I'm on my way to hell because I've never accepted the truth. Does that make sense? And so if my life is built on that, then I don't have a basis for salvation. And so that's the idea, that all liars shall have their part. That's the people who love and practice, and that's the idea of a lifestyle of a lie. They're on their way to hell. Yeah, we all lie. And like I said, even sometimes when we don't mean to, we lie uh yeah it does, and so uh you know well there again uh I don't know these are I could talk about these things, yes, ma'am what oh well, for one thing, you answered prayer, okay, I'll explain this very quickly to the people that are here, but uh. I have been sweating all month. Wanted to